This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. So Boris Johnson apologised this week in the Commons after receiving a fixed penalty notice. James, in the immediate aftermath, we had Mark Harper ultimately call for him to go, but generally speaking, it was a fairly calm response. Boris Johnson addressed MPs last night. What did he have to say? And was it a rather different tone in the chamber? Yeah, as one attendee said to me, you know, the kind of gloves came off at the 22. It was much more pugnacious. He bashed Labour. And it wasn't a kind of, it wasn't the kind of road to Canossa humble apology that you saw in the chamber. Instead, it was, you know, you know, much more fighty, if you like. I think in a worrying sign for him, though, the only time at which he he came kind of close to losing the room was, I'm told, when Craig Whitaker, one of the, the, the MPs who said that Boris Johnson should go over, over, over Partygate, said, look, why don't you spare everyone the agony of this vote on whether or not to refer you to the Privileges Committee for having... Uh, over whether or not you misled the House by just refer yourself, you know, make sure that colleagues don't have to march through the division lobby, something that everyone knows that Labour is going to use to attack them. And and Boris Johnson, you know, talked a bit, you know, mentioned Chris Bryant, who has now actually recused himself from the from the investigation, but hadn't at the time. And I think, you know, there is there is a wariness about Tory MPs about what they're going to be asked to do tomorrow. And I was very struck this morning calling around Tory MPs that nearly all of them use the word exhausted to describe their state. And, you know, this is striking given that they've only been back from recess for one day. And I think Tory MPs are just very tired of this scandal. And I think, as you as you say in, in the magazine coming out tomorrow, you know, Boris Johnson told them that this is the end of the beginning of Partygate. And I think, I think Tory MPs really are fed up to the back teeth of that story, uh, with this whole story, and, and want it done and gone. Fraser, so we have a vote tomorrow where Labour are pushing for an investigation by a parliamentary committee into whether Boris Johnson is in contempt of Parliament over his comments on Partygate. Lots of Tory MPs are quite nervous about this, partly because they think back to the Owen Paterson row, where they were told to vote to spare Owen Paterson a suspension, only for Number 10 to U-turn, and they had a lot of pain for not much gain. Do you think there could be a repeat of that here? I don't think so. It's going to be a very difficult vote for a lot of people. Notice that Douglas Ross, for example, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, has been uh, allowed an absence. I think he's going to be campaigning or something. And Labour are quite doing exactly what an opposition should do. They know that there is huge discomfort in the Tory party, a Tory party that was only four months ago all set to defenestrate Boris Johnson over this. So if they call a, a motion over something that they know most Tories believe to be true, then let's see if they can put the Tories in an uncomfortable position. But to vote with the opposition leader over something like this would be such an offence. It would, in our parliamentary system, it would basically lead for somebody to, to lose the whip, really. If you vote, anybody who joins Keir Starmer through the division lobbies on a device which is intended to humiliate the, the party leader and the prime minister is really putting his or her career as a Tory MP on the line. So I think the way that Westminster tribalism works, I doubt this will be very successful. It will be a story of abstentions, I think, rather than 
than anybody actually voting with Keir Starmer, and his motion will almost certainly fail. James, looking at that meeting between Boris Johnson and MPs, it came up today at Prime Minister's Questions. You had Keir Starmer trying to paint it as um, showing Boris Johnson's true colours, saying, as you, as you mentioned, that he was far more bullish and Keir Starmer said, you know, more unapologetic than in the chamber. But it's also brewed a row, hasn't it, over Justin Welby and the BBC. Can you talk us through what's going on? So I think this is an example of what we were discussing on, 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 our, on our magazine podcast edition, the, kind of the role of luck in Boris Johnson's political career. I think, oddly enough, this is an example of this, which is you know, Keir Starmer attacked Boris Johnson about what Boris Johnson said in, in an obvious provocation. Boris Johnson said the charging on the Archbishop of Canterbury had sounded more upset about the government's Rwanda policy in their Easter Sunday sermons than Putin's invasion of Ukraine. He also referred to kind of criticisms of the policy on the BBC, but he didn't criticise the BBC's reporting of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And Keir Starmer kind of suggested at PMQs that he did, and this has allowed the Tories to kind of create a row about whether Starmer has misled the House. And it's just a kind of classic example of, of somehow the role of fortune that, that plays with Boris Johnson, because it, this is the perfect time for him to be able to say, ah, oh, hang on a second... And, and try and draw what, what is a hard equivalence to draw, because, because they, I don't mean they are comparable. But I think it won't stop Tories from trying to draw a comparison between the two examples. They will say that this, this is a sign that both men have inadvertently misled the House. But I mean, I, I, I'm not suggesting the two are comparable. I'm just saying it, the Tories will make that argument. And Fraser, we're speaking on a week where... Lots of people would have said if you, you told them a few months ago, this is the week Boris Johnson faced his party of receiving a fixed penalty notice. He'd been a, a lot of trouble potentially on the way out. Yeah, it doesn't really seem that way right now, does it? This is the paradox. He's in a lot more trouble than people feared he would be in a few months ago. That's trouble with the police. Yet he's in a lot less trouble politically. I think over the spectator, we're keeping a list of how many Tory MPs are calling for him to go. And right now we're struggling to get into, into double digits. Even the House of Lords, we've got Lord, Lord Finkelstein, who used his Times column to call for Boris to resign, and presumably Rishi Sunak too, because he was saying that lawmakers can't be lawbreakers. But other than that, it's really quite striking how the number of people supporting Boris Johnson outnumbers those asking him to go by about five to one, certainly amongst the Tory MPs. And as James says, they're saying that they're sick of this. They think that life has moved on, that the Ukraine conflict has changed the conversation. Of course, you know, Katie, I, I, one of the great pleasures of being editor of a spectator is I get to read your, your copy before it's published. And in tomorrow's magazine, you give the best description that anybody is going to, to read about exactly how Boris Johnson has ended up in this position. And our cover, we depict him as Monty Python's um, Black Knight, you know, despite having suffered several wounds that ought to finish him off, is still jumping up and down alive, saying that it's only a scratch. And that's effectively what Boris Johnson right now is saying. This is only a scratch. I'm going to go on and on and on. And James, just finally, on when it comes to his own party, there are obviously some MPs who do want Boris Johnson to go, more who uh, want him to stay for the time being. When it comes to his policy agenda, what we've seen is Boris Johnson shoring up the support of his right, the right of his party with various policy announcements. This includes a plan to send some asylum seekers to Rwanda. But yesterday we had Theresa May come out and criticise the policy, a former Home Secretary as well as a former Prime Minister. This is what she had to say. I say with respect to my right honourable friend... 
And from what I have heard and seen so far of this policy, I do not support the removal to Rwanda policy on the grounds of legality, practicality and efficacy. But I want to ask her about one very specific issue. I understand that those who will be removed will only be young men, that families will not be... Uh, well, the Home Secretary is shaking her head, so I've obviously misunderstood the policy in that sense. But if it is the case that families will not be broken up, and the Home Secretary is nodding, does she not believe, and where is her evidence, that this will not simply lead to an increase in the trafficking of women and children? James, is this going to have a significant impact in terms of how the policy is viewed? I think the policy is designed to basically deal with one of the Tories' big political weaknesses ahead of the local elections, which is that, you know, a third of Tory voters and Leave voters put immigration and asylum in the top three issues facing the country. But the sight of all these small boats crossing the channel and people arriving makes it very difficult for the government to claim it's taken back control of its board, of the UK's borders. And so I think that the Rwanda policy is a kind of demonstrative policy. And I think I think lots of I think quite a few cabinet ministers expect it to be challenged in the courts and, and almost view that as a function of the policy. I think the Theresa May criticism is 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 another sign though of her willingness to criticise government policy when it goes wrong. And I think mean, it raises this question of, you know, she asked one very critical question of Boris Johnson about Partygate. We still haven't heard what she has said since uh, he received this fixed penalty notice. And I think it will increase some nerves uh, about what she will say about that, given how critical she has been of the Rwanda policy and several other government policies. You know, think of planning reform, think of the restrictions on international travel during the COVID era. I mean, if she was to call for Boris Johnson to go, it's not that she has a whole cadre of followers on the back benches, but that would, that would, be a, that would obviously be a very big news story. I was quite struck, actually, of Theresa May taking that tone in the first place. I did think to myself that this is the former Home Secretary who presided over the hostile environment for migrants. This is the woman who, as Prime Minister, decided to put the skids under every EU national living in this country after the Brexit vote, and she was the only one of the five Tory leadership candidates who would not say to EU nationals they'd be given automatic right to stay in Britain. I think she's motivated here a lot by the temptation of destabilising Boris Johnson. She is very careful in what she says. I bumped into her at the Athenaeum a few weeks ago and she was saying that she only wants to come in and um, make very seldom interventions. So when she does, it has it packs a punch. It certainly packed a punch this week, although it's one which I struggle to reconcile with her overall political record. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.